This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Shorty, being the best of my time radio show, Monday, Friday, 10 till 1. You can listen live on your DB radio, on your smart speaker, on the Times Radio app. Lots of you have been getting in touch about the podcast lately, which is nice. Do feel free to tweet at Matt Chorley or you can email me, Matt, at Times.Radio. Right, coming up, as ever, it's Wednesday, so PMQ's Unpacked is on its way. Isabel Hardman from The Spectator joins Tim Shipman and I to pause the action from the House of Commons to analyse the key exchanges in real time. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, we better take a look at the news with these two. The Columnists with Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. And they're both here. Morning, Alice. Morning. I'm very upset that I haven't got a cupcake and you two have. Well, that's because I went to the canteen and they're giving them away free. Yeah, so it's 100 years of Judith Kerr off of the type who came to tea. Yeah. Uh, who's published by HarperCollins in this building. So yeah, if you go to the canteen, get yourself a cup of tea, they give you a free cake with a, with a tiger that came into tea on it. So you two have already been in the canteen. I've been working. I've been working. I just went to get a coffee before I came here. Yeah. And a cigarette. Yeah. No, I didn't have a cigarette. You're just oh. faffing around. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. There There's we are. Oh, you I've see. Got one. That's the power of Times Radio. Yeah. You just say something like that and a cake you just... You didn't even produce, want it. I'd already offered you producer, mine. It's the best use of executive <laughs> producer Andrew's time, running around with buns. There we are. I can now eat it in peace. Both fans of Judith Kerr? Massive fans, yeah. Of course. Brilliant book. In fact, all of them. So my favourite is When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit. I don't think I know that. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah. It's about her childhood, which is really oh, awful and yes, traumatising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. more of a girl's book, I think. And a list of Hitler's crimes, that would, wouldn't rank particularly high, but <laughs> still, I mean, it just shows what a thoroughgoing, nasty Everyone person was. talking about was. Hitler this week. Did you hear the weekend Michael, uh, Michael Heseltine was on time? Yes. Right? No, what and was, And uh, somebody texted in to, it was breakfast of the weekend, somebody texted in and they read out the text and said, look, someone's just texting in, Boris Johnson, you know, ultimately won the general election, he's a winner. And Michael Heseltine's response was, well, Hitler was a winner. Yeah. He won a general election in Germany. What's so, that law that says uh, any oh, discussion yeah, God, on the... Godwin's law. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It mentions the Nazis within three do minutes not, or something. Do not mention the Nazis. Mm. Uh, right, uh, tell you what, let's talk about the House of Lords first of all, because uh, this, is, this is pretty extraordinary. So the, the Lords have been doing some sort of marathon sessions uh, lately. They were up till 4am one night last week, 2am this week, and a lot of peers are really fed up. Which slightly begs the question, why so many of Boris Johnson's mates are desperate to, to join it? 
This was the question being asked by Labour peer Lord Fuchs in the chamber yesterday. Now, this is really ridiculous that we should be uh, treated in this way, that members should be treated in this way. I wonder if Boris's friends who are going to join us have been told what to expect. <laughs> I mean, how is Ben Houghton going to manage to get down from Teesside uh, suddenly on a Wednesday morning? Helicopter. What about Charlotte Owen? It's going to interfere with her social life, that's one thing, sure. <laughs> and indeed, Nadine Doris doesn't realise what she's gaining by not being nominated uh, for this place. Now, he mentions Nadine Doris there. <laughs> she, on... I know it was quite a busy day for her Friday. She went on Talk TV Friday morning and said, the last thing I'm going to do is trigger a by-election. And by tea time, she was triggering a by-election. <laughs> Uh, she went back on Talk TV to explain the reason she was quitting as an MP is because she was too busy with all of her other jobs. I think two years is a long time for me to be presenting a show on Talk TV and writing a column in the Daily Mail. And I'm an author, you know, I publish a book a year and to be an MP, you know, come on, something's got to, to got to give. And I'm 66 and I've done, you know, I keep saying this, and I've done, um, you know, 18 years as an MP. And I did think I'd be retiring in two years, but there's this kind of new life opening up in front of me, along with a granddaughter. And so there are just other priorities and things to do. And I was, I didn't want to cause a by-election, but, but, you know, I've got over myself. <laughs> but she still hasn't resigned, is that right? She still hasn't actually put a resignation. Right, so she's now having third thoughts. And she's got all these, all, all these... Commitments. All these other commitments. Well, yeah, but that didn't stop her wanting to be in the House of Lords, well, exactly, so presumably... Yeah. And she was doing them anyway, right? And then she yeah. says something's got yeah. to give. But something's got to give, and it's being an MP. Yeah, and she was doing that while which, she was a minister, too. Well, yeah, not yes. that long ago, which she was what, running a government department. Which is what she... And she was doing all this other stuff, yeah. but not... Yeah. yeah. Weird. Weird logic. She's superwoman. So the thing that's got to give is being the MP. And even though that's not... Yeah. She, does, she doesn't want to do that. She doesn't want that. She doesn't want to trigger a by-election. Yeah. But that's... She's got no choice. And, yeah. Like, yeah, but she's a victim of the posh boys, is the problem. Oh, it's the posh boys. Would either of you join the House of Lords? Well, I was House of Lords correspondent for a bit, oh, and I did quite were. enjoy it. I was quite good. I learned how to fillet a fish. I'd never done that before. I'd what? never had gentleman's relish. There were all sorts of things that we were taught by pardon. all these old... Yeah, it was great. What do you mean you learned how to fillet a fish well, at the I House of Lords? I didn't know. Lords? I'd never seen someone gave me this Dover sole. I'd never seen it. What I didn't do you mean have they gave you a Dover sole? In the Lords? In the House of Lords, yeah. We'd go and have lunch and this, this fish was just presented oh, to me. Oh, oh, yeah. I thought you meant in the chamber. I didn't realise no, they were doing, like, cookery No, we weren't allowed in the actual in the chamber, but that's we did like, report on it. And I was kind of quite young and I'd never seen people in tights <laughs> like that before. It was, like, like, amazing. That's like my lobster beast story. My first posh meal as a journalist with a commissioning editor, I went out and I saw a lobster on the menu and I knew that was uh, something nice so I ordered lobster bisque and they brought this bowl of soup and I said I'm sorry there's some mistake I ordered the lobster this doesn't look like a lobster at all <laughs> it's soup lobster bisque yeah didn't know that at the time well, every day you know anyway would I want to be in the House of Lords yeah. uh, on principle I would always I would hope I would refuse should the, should the offer arrive <laughs> But I'd probably not. I'd probably say yes, because nice, it's a, it was the best club in London, somebody said, didn't they? Well, you get free parking quite often, and you get, you know, the offices, you're paid, and that's the problem, is they all do really want it. So I think Lord Fuchs was actually slightly complaining too much, because they do enjoy being there, and that's why they, all yeah. those hereditaries try and vie to get there still. And I quite like the idea of a 29-year-old being there. I think that's good. You might have the energy to stay up till four in the morning. What, young Ross um, Kempsel? Sorry? It's good, good to see young Ross Kempsel doing well, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're a bit mm. envious then. 
Well, I think it gives us all hope, doesn't it? it being a bit mediocre at times radio, and ultimately you can end up in the House of Lords. Baron <laughs> and Chorley. Yeah. You'd go out with Finkelstein. Yeah. Well, I was, because well, I, I, I did talk, I did make that joke on Twitter on Friday about yeah. Ross Kemp's who was here briefly when Times Radio launched as a reporter, yeah. and then he went off to work for Boris Johnson. So I tweeted saying, it turns out being a bit mediocre on Times Radio, and you can still end up in the House of Lords. And then somebody pointed out, well, there is Ruth Davidson, uh, yeah. who is on Times yeah. Radio out of the House of Lords. And there is Ed Vasey, yeah. uh, who's on Times Radio out of the House of Lords. And Danny Finkelstein. Uh, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of them about. So we're feeling a bit left out now. Yeah, there are. Well, there's 800, are there 800 in the Lords yeah, or something? Yeah, a lot, yeah, yeah. Only I mean, China has a bigger legislature. So I mean, the Lords is embarrassing, let's get that straight, yeah? yeah? We shouldn't be a House of Lords. There should be a second chamber which is elected. And uh, most people are coming round to that way of thinking. I think even William Hague said it on Monday that eventually it should be democratically elected. Or I'd send them up to and, York and put them somewhere else where they actually, so yeah. we could have more of a balanced sense. Yeah. I, think, I think sending them somewhere else is a, is a nonsense. Do you? Yeah, I think it should be in London. Of course, it should. Everything else is in London, but they should just be elected. You're right. Actually, forty nine percent say it should be mostly elected. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, you could get rid of the hereditaries tomorrow, really, couldn't you? Because they're only ninety two now. They're voted yeah. in. Yeah, they should be. Uh, they should go. Uh, I mean, that was a compromise Blair did to get it through, wasn't it? But that's that was twenty plus years ago. Those things. It's the opinions moved on sufficiently for that to. Uh, but I think that all these prime ministers just choosing a few mates to go in. You've now got Liz Truss who's going to also produce her I, know, Liz I think Truss that's going to be even worse. Yeah. yeah. I think it should be done sort of pro rata. That you get, so the number of days you spend in prime minister, you know, maybe each month you get a peer yeah. or something. So that, yeah, she could, she could recommend one half a lord. I don't think there should be a resignation on this list. No. Why, I mean, why is it there in the first place? Also, I think you know, I was there with Margaret Thatcher, just her, her new peers had just arrived and I was so, you know, years and years ago. But she had amazing people because she'd put in like, you know, authors and scientists and she mm. didn't put in her cronies as much as people yeah, that she yeah, yeah. really admired, like P.D. James. And that was much more impressive because you've got these extraordinary figures then in the House yeah. of Lords who actually knew something. Yeah, and I think I take accept that argument, but ultimately I think if you're, you're living in a democracy or you're not, and... Yeah. and and we're sort of only living in a kind of quasi-democracy whilst we've got um, a second chamber with people in it who are there because their ancestor was nice to royalty or something. Yeah, also they gave enough money to the yeah. party of the day or they were a yeah. failed MP or they, in the yeah. case of Boris Johnson, want, you know, they were in charge of making sure he wasn't seen carrying a disposable coffee cup. Or yeah. the brother of the Prime Minister. Or the brother of the Prime Minister. Anyway, I'm glad we sorted that out. So yeah, that's, to that's done. Alice, let's talk about your column uh, today, uh, which is looking at the need to think again about abortion laws. Obviously, in the wake of this uh, story a couple of days ago of a woman who's been uh, sentenced to prison for 28 months because she took uh, abortion pills at home, the pills by post, uh, after uh, she'd uh, um, gone beyond the, the term the term limit. It's interesting, we spoke to Caroline Noakes on the show yesterday, who chairs the Equalities uh, committee in the Commons, and we were sort of making, we were sort of having the conversation about you don't want to make just one take one bad case and come up with bad law off the back of it. It's a it's a difficult one to judge because clearly this this woman did break the law. So I think this is a particularly it's an extraordinary case, and it was very very late on and um, uh, mitigating circumstances, as the judge says, was that she was in the middle of lockdown, that first lockdown. She was on her own. She was had to move back in with her estranged husband and she had her three young children. And she was obviously deeply, deeply anguished. And then when she had the abortion very late, she was devastated and 
he talks about that, the judge. So it is a, it's a different case from most, but one in three women in their lifetimes do have an abortion. And we have a very antiquated system that goes back 150 years, whereby it is still a criminal offence to have an abortion. And that seems extraordinary to me mm. that we have such an old law governing it. And then actually we need to update that because at the moment you have to give de various mitigating circumstances to have an abortion. And I think that there's, it's very right and proper that we have a time limit for abortions and that should be done by the House of Commons. But I think to make it a, a criminal offence is wrong, actually. I think we should but change you, that. But if you have a limit, don't, don't you need to have some repercussions if that limit is broken? Yes, but that doesn't need to be criminal repercussions. Okay. So I think that's mm. the difference, that you should change it. And it's been changed in Northern Ireland. So mm. Northern Ireland, which used to have the most antiquated yeah. system, yeah, and they were course. very, very anti-abortion. In 2019, they changed it so it's no longer a criminal offence. Yeah, it's not a criminal offence at all in Canada. Um, it's just a change in the law. Women from Northern Ireland used to come here for abortions. Yeah. Uh, it's not only criminal repercussions, it's... Uh, penal re repercussions yeah, yeah. in that this law that you refer to is 1861 Offences Against the Person Act, mm. I think. The judge had no choice but the, because the offender has to serve, has to have endure penal servitude, I think it says. So you could still have a some sort of criminal sanction uh, like uh, if, if you thought that was appropriate but it, it shouldn't certainly shouldn't involve sending people to prison especially when they've got children of which uh, I think you said most women in prison a majority of women in, sent to prison yeah. have children. I mean, that is just creating a cycle of uh, further lawlessness, isn't it? It's, so it's, 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 then you get, basically, we get into a conversation there about do we send too many people into prison? Yes, we send too many people. Specifics of, yes. of abortion. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about specifics of abortion if you want, but yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. The, the, the overall point is, and, and you said, you know, hard cases make bad yeah, law, yeah. so, but... The overall point is that she shouldn't be in prison, but neither should probably 75% of the people who are in prison, male and female, uh, especially when it involves taking young children and putting them into care, because that is a, that is a, one of the best indicators of a future life you of crime. You creating more people, yeah. you know, the same, the yes. same, the same cycle yes. goes around. Is there also um, a risk, Alice, that the, the, this, the, the question of abortion has been largely settled in this country. Occasionally it sort of pops up from sort of backbench... Uh, contributions. If mm. you if you start putting abortion onto the table in a political debate, you know you could. There's a risk you end up actually making matters worse. I mean, you look what happened, what's happened in America with tearing up. Uh, so that's why actually I disagreed for a long time in changing the laws because I felt that, and I think successive governments have because it, they make some very nervous, particularly mm. now in places like Poland that have, it's become a massive issue, and in America. And you you don't want mm. pickets um, at abortion clinics. You don't want to have it as a massive voting issue. I think it's actually mm. I think we've always been very grown up in this country in the way that mm. we discuss it, and that yeah. it's a free vote in Parliament. So I do think but, that, but at the same time, it's now coming mm. awkward that we have this unbelievably antiquated mm. Victorian law. I think the clue is Northern Ireland, isn't it? I mean, Northern Ireland is the most, probably the most mm. religious community, both in terms of, of, of Catholics who are straightforwardly anti-abortion, but also in terms of fairly fundamentalist uh, Protestants. And if there'd been no uh, consequences there in terms of pickets or, yeah. or attacks or something since 2019, then it looks like it's pretty safe to make the change here. Yeah, yeah. And we should do but yeah. I suppose the point is that the, the not knowing, because it hasn't really been tested in the Commons, yeah. if you bring forward a piece of legislation, and the government's done this on other things, but they've abandoned, I think, on uh, animal welfare stuff, mm. they've abandoned it because they were suddenly aware that it could get hijacked. Yeah. If you bring forward legislation with the word abortion on it, mm. it is possible that the House of Commons could vote to bring yeah. down term limits or, you know, and throw yeah, other things. It's also, I it. think it's important to say that as, as crimes go, 
nobody wants to have an abortion, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a hugely mm. upsetting and difficult thing to do. So I think even though, yes, you're technically breaking the law if it's over 22 weeks or whatever, then you've still got to... It's not quite the same as other crime so you know crimes is it it's yeah. not it, it's it's something that you would be i should be reluctant to criminalize in a in a really serious way although maybe obviously you want the law to be upheld exactly but yeah. prison i mean 28 months in prison for for doing something with all the extenuating circumstances it's, yeah, yeah. it's just not right i remember actually interviewing jeremy hunt years ago when he was health secretary and we said on the way out of the interview do you want to do anything about abortion he said yeah he probably would lower the limit and it Lower became it. a big news story right, actually it wow. was and and i hadn't realized quite as you say how yeah, contentious yeah, yeah, yeah. it is in that way that that it There's is very a difficult whole load of mps who have views on it but we know we don't you know mm. basically we wouldn't mm. know until it was put to a vote because it would probably be a free vote uh, what would happen uh, well let's move on uh, because at a moment i want to talk to you about ice cream vans do got you a, do you like them i've got a, yeah and i've got a cracking joke about ice cream van have you? <laughs> yeah Across the UK, on DAB, online and on your smart speaker, Matt Chorley, on Times Radio. What's that coming around the corner? It's Robert Crampton's ice cream van joke. So there's an ice cream seller and he's found dead on the floor of his van. He's covered in hundreds and thousands and sprinkles and raspberry sauce and flakes. Yeah, the police are saying he topped himself. <laughs> Good. It's all right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's good. Uh, if you could, be- if you've got a better <laughs> ice cream van joke, uh, get in touch in all the usual ways. Why are we talking about ice cream vans? Uh, well, the Times, no less, has accused the busybody bureaucrats at Greenwich <laughs> Council of being the Grinch that stole summer with its plan yeah. to ban ice cream vans from streets across its jurisdiction. The council wants like to stop the diesel emitter vans from creating queues that clutter up the views of heritage sites. I know who wrote that leader, and I'm going to have words with him about his tenuous Grinch reference later, I think. The Grinch that stole summer, that's pretty good. Oh, no, the Grinch is absolutely indelibly associated with Christmas. Yeah, but that's, that's yeah. why it's... Like no, I know, I get it, but I just don't think it works. Who wrote it? I'm not telling you. Oh, OK. Uh, well, John Boner <laughs> is the uh, head of the Piccadilly Whip fleet of vans. He's been selling ice cream <laughs> since he was 11 years old, only 50 years ago, and he's on the line. Hi, John. Hello. Um, what on earth is going on? The council say they don't want ice cream vans cluttering up uh, sensitive locations. Um, I just think it's outrageous, to be honest with you. I don't work in that area, um, but I feel for the people who do. Everybody's got to earn a living. And I just feel that it's another lonely left council <laughs> just throwing their weight about for no reason at all. Next, they'll be banning fish and chip shops or something. I don't know. What reason have they actually given? Uh, they say we welcome the trading of ice cream vans in hundreds of locations, but it- itinerant ice cream van trading, uh, defined as trading from a vehicle which goes from place to place, can cause unacceptable levels of nuisance, as well as having a negative impact on air quality from engine idling in sensitive locations. Yeah. So this is part of, because I'm um, drawing on my knowledge of my ice cream selling days, John, um, if you want to have a whippy machine especially, you need to have the engine running, don't you? Not necessarily anymore. You've got battery-operated ice cream vans now that work just as well. They are. Um, well, in fact, the people so I used could, to sell they, ice cream they, they for could, have got they, um, solar panels on their vans, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, and how, well, are you, how is trade, John? Yeah, very good. But um, you, you, you can get battery-operated ice cream vans. We've got one ourselves that can work in certain areas where you're not allowed to have an engine running. And, um, yeah, so that, that's exactly... Um, they haven't said... 
you, you can have certain ice cream vans and not other ice cream vans. It's just banned ice cream vans completely, which yeah. I don't think is completely correct. <laughs> um, uh, what, what's your favourite ice cream, John? If you were if you were approaching a van, what would you have? Pistachio. Oh. Yeah. Actually, we used to make that because I used to yeah. make them. My Saturday job was making ice cream, then going out and selling it down in Somerset. I like rum, rum, and, rum and raisins. I used to have to stir the raisins in. Oh, did you? Yeah. Never enough raisins in it. Well, they might all be at the bottom, so yeah, I stirred it up. Yeah, mine was definitely yeah. fab. Yeah. Fab. What, what, like what about yours, Robert? Rum and raisin. Oh, yeah, well, that yeah. is actually your favourite. Yeah, it you is, yeah. You had a really exotic yeah. taste, didn't you? Yeah. How were you like that? Well, I was making it. I wasn't eating it. <laughs> I was found the Smash Show a bit much. Um, John, um, I, there was a story a while ago, wasn't there? But you were struggling, but ice cream people were struggling to get hold of flakes. Can you get hold of flakes now? I'm um, just on my way to pick three pallets up now. I've just got out of Three pallets? Yeah, bloody hell! That's a lot of that's a lot of chocolate flakes. What's your bestseller? Yeah, yeah that's a good question. A ninety-nine of a flake that sells yeah. everything else put together. Wow! Well, yeah, John, best of luck with it all. Good luck with all those flakes. I used to like. Um, we, there were very strict rules about putting your bells on when I was driving an ice cream van. Oh yeah, yeah. Like times of the day, and you weren't supposed to keep. If you were moving, you weren't supposed to turn It off. sounds like it's pretty well regulated already. Yeah, so. And uh, it would be a shame to... I like them best outside schools, actually, I have to say. I know we're not supposed to. John's, a different John's been in touch with an ice cream joke, do you want it? Yeah. An old man walks up to an ice cream cellar and sits down with difficulty. He orders an ice cream sundae and the waiter asks, crushed nuts? The old man replies, <laughs> <laughs> no arthritis. There we are, there we go. Great. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson there, off to have an ice cream. And of course, you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at LutonRising.org.uk. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. And Tim Shipman's here. Afternoon, Tim. Good afternoon. Uh, now, the last time you were here, because you weren't here last week, because it was Deputies Week last week, the last time you were here, uh, we had a bet uh, that Keir Starmer, you said Keir Starmer, would definitely mention Boris Johnson, join PMQs. Are we going double or quits today? Well, I just wondered that, because uh, he didn't mention Boris Johnson at all, so you now owe me a dinner. <laughs> yes. Do you think he'll mention Boris Johnson this I week? I will bet you two dinners <laughs> against <laughs> no dinners. 
that you think it's... I mean, I would... It's nailed on, isn't it? Uh, to be clear, that other, that other dinner is being banked. I've won oh, that. You can't take that away from oh, me. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're also joined in the studio by Isabel Harmer from Spectator. Isabel it's Harmer. not like Bullseye, then, is it? Where, you know, no. you, you lost the... No, you know, the, the caravan is mine. The caravan. <laughs> Isabel, hello. Hello. Are you going to get both dinners in one evening? Is that the plan? Yeah, we'll go full. Mm. Just really rinse Tim. Start with the five us. guys and then move on. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, Isabel, what do you think? Will Keir Starmer go big on uh, Boris Johnson and Nadine Doris and all of that? Or will he try to rise above it and talk policy? I suspect that he will weave it into his jokes, uh, but allow Labour backbenchers to uh, continue the attack throughout the session. I'm just looking at the the, the pictures of the House of Commons. Uh, Richard Sinak's got Chloe Smith on one side. I think the... Uh, Oliver Dowden was there. Uh, no obvious sign of uh, Nadine Doyce in the House of Commons, uh, despite the news that she's announced she wants to stay on a bit longer. Uh, she's not going to trigger a by-election uh, just yet. Uh, what sort of reception do you think she'd get if she did turn up in the House of Commons from her colleagues as well? I mean, some of her colleagues really don't like her and are annoyed by the psychodrama uh, that she and Boris Johnson are wreaking upon the party. But she does have lots of very close friends who are MPs across the house, actually, who are very fond of her as a person. So I don't think it would be like, for instance, uh, Matt Hancock, who uh, gets glared at whenever he comes into the Commons now. Well, he's, he's now a normal person again, isn't he? In he's touch wearing, with the people. He's wearing jeans. I think up to a point, Lord Copper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you were advising uh, Keir Starmer, what, 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 do you, what do you think he should go on if not just Boris? Well, there's a lot of economic banter. stuff going on as well and mortgages yeah. soaring and, you know, is the economy really picking up? But I think what Starmer's done in the past with this kind of stuff is to say this wicked psychodrama is distracting attention from the important mm. things that the British public wants to talk about. So obviously the best way uh, to not distract attention is to spend half an hour talking, talking about, about it. it on a Wednesday mm. lunchtime. But, I mean, it would surprise me if this wasn't a decent wedge of it, to be honest. Uh, uh, because it is still a running story, yes. and, and as we always talk about, the way for the leader of the opposition to you know inject themselves into the, yeah. the news agenda mm. is to start talking about what's actually in the news. and. This is. And Keir Starmer's up, his early success as leader of the opposition was going up against Boris Johnson, you know, 12 months ago. That was yeah. the big turning point. So You know, and does Starmer even need to get a sort of win on this? If he gets Rishi Sunak talking about it, that yeah, will yeah. keep the story going, which will wind up Boris Johnson's people again, which will mean that, you know, there's more drama and more counter-briefing, and that will keep it flowing in the papers for another yeah. 24 hours. So it's, interesting. It, it's, it's not, he doesn't time, even need to win an argument. It's probably the one time where the leader of the opposition isn't bothered about getting into the bulletins, just getting Rishi Sunak back in the bulletins, yeah. being rude yeah. about Boris Johnson, which means that one of his ermine-clad friends can brief again about against him and then it just all rolls on. And it's been interesting that Rishi Sunak has risen to the bait yeah, in the past has. few days in the way that he hasn't really over his uh, tenure as Prime Minister and prior to that. He's always tried to be quite detached yeah. as though he's sort of watching things going on from a distance. Whereas on Monday, he really confronted the yeah. question of what Boris Johnson had asked him and it poked the bear, didn't yeah, it? Because yeah. then Boris got really angry. Uh, so I'll be really interested to see how ready the Prime Minister is to go into any further details or whether he's going to try again to sort sort of appear more like a kind of blogger yeah, yeah. rather than a Prime Minister. Yeah, that line about, if people don't like it, tough, mm. just clearly set, set yeah. them all off. I mean, not since Ed Miliband was talking about 
Uh, am You're I tough, tough enough? enough? Tough enough. Tough enough. Tough enough. Enough. Right, here we go then. Uh, we are going live to the House of Commons after PMQs. There is going to be a statement from uh, the Home Secretary, uh, Sonia Barman, on the uh, incident in Nottingham. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if that comes up uh, as well. But let's go live to the House of Commons. So this is question number one from Keir Starmer. Of the opposition, Keir Starmer. I join with the Prime Minister in his comments about the terrible attack in Nottingham yesterday and in tribute to the work of our emergency services. The thoughts of the whole House are with the victims and the people of that great city. I also join him in remembering the 72 people who lost their lives in the Grenfell Tower fire. The victims and their families are always in our hearts, but six years on, the justice they're fighting for is long overdue. Mr Speaker, all across the country... People are worried about their bills, the price of the weekly shop and the spiralling mortgage rates. So why has the Tory party spent this last week arguing over which of them gets a peerage? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Mr. Speaker, my my points on this are are very clear. In line with a long-established convention of previous Prime Ministers, having the ability to submit honours. I followed the process to the letter in convention with long-standing process. It is, it is, by the way, Mr Speaker, a long-standing convention that Prime Ministers on both sides of this House have followed in the same way that I did. Oh dear. He's fallen into the trap there, hasn't he? Well, he sort of answered a question he wasn't asked. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's not unheard of at PMQs, but it... It's sort of slightly odd to sort of launch into a defence of his behaviour. Why not? Why not say actually we are addressing the cost of living crisis Correct. and launch into a thing on? Yes, this is what I've been doing. Halving All I did on that peerage thing was just say, "Great, yeah, this yeah. has landed on my desk. Off you go." I've actually spent, you know, how many meetings I've had this day, yeah. the day before. You know, I mean, you could have made a real kind of. Yeah. We could have had a real master's list of how hard he's been working yeah. on all these vital issues. Tacking the big issues. Yeah, although I can see that he might think, preparing for the session, that let's try and hit this on the nose, yeah. get it sorted early. But I don't think that statement really does close things off. If you're going to have a kind of crisis comms approach where you get everything out there, don't have a short statement that doesn't get everything out there yeah, 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 and that yeah. allows many, many follow-up questions. Well, there we are. And I think, you know, like, uh, the China said, well, we've all done it. We've all, your lot have done it. I've done it. We've all done it. It's a long standing convention. I'm not sure Gordon that's. Brown didn't do it, of course. No. Mm. Well, he had a dissolution on his list. He did, it? which was quite convenient for him. Yes. I think there's also a long standing convention of prime ministers not being shameless. And I think if you've got a Boris Johnson uh, convention breaker, then you might expect his successor but one to com- break some conventions to deal with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right, very good. Uh, let's see uh, if this gets any better. Uh, question number two from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the, the truth is, for all his tough talk after the event, the Prime Minister did sign off the honours list. And that means, that means, Mr Speaker, that those who threw a Downing Street party the night before the late Queen sat alone at her husband's funeral will now receive awards from the King. If he's so tough, why didn't you block it? Mr Speaker, as I said, I and the government follow due process and convention. Prime Ministers, Prime Ministers of both parties 
have always upheld the Convention of Non-Interference on Political Honours. My predecessors may not have agreed with Labour's choices of Tom Watson or Shami Chakrabarti, but the same, but the same precedent Mr. Speaker, the same precedent stood then as it does now, and I'd expect a knight like him to understand that. Oh, no, okay. well, this is go. better. This is much better. <laughs> well done, everybody. Uh, interesting that Keir Starmer's position as well is to attack the people who are on the list. Not even we're not even into yet Boris Johnson and uh, yep. Nadine Doris and Nigel Adams. Yep. But to say you shouldn't have even approved the others. Yeah, because and they broke the lockdown rules. Yeah, and this is his way of keeping it alive, um, following the exit of Boris Johnson. The idea that Boris Johnson is is going to disappear off into the ether is is nonsense. Uh, but I thought that Rishi Sunak's, I mean, he's obviously now on the attack as yeah. his defence. Um, but to then say, you know, we're basically as bad as you are. I mean, I find this really depressing in politics. We had this with anti-Semitism, yeah. didn't we? Labour yeah. would hit back saying, ah, oh, but you're Islamophobic. And it's like, oh, we're, you know, we're just as bad as you are. Really isn't that inspiring in politics, is it? And Sunak could have distanced himself there. He, he, could have, he could have been a little blunter and said, well, I wouldn't have put those people on yeah. the list. But the convention is that the list is nodded through and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But he didn't do that. Yeah. Um, but Yen, you know... Tom Watson. Tom Watson. Always good always, to chuck Tom Watson worth, on the table. Always worth a mention. Which p- pedo hunter-in-chief, Tom Watson. <laughs> self-appointed. And yeah. Shammy Whitewash Chakrabarti yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone found either of those appointments particularly edifying at the time. Um, and then to cap it all, a joke about his knighthood. He's got a... Keir Starmer's got a knighthood. And we've had this conversation before, and it, but it always bears repetition, that in the focus groups, a very large number of people think that Keir Starmer has a knighthood because he's posh, mm. not because he was the director of public yeah. prosecutions and did a you know important job. And you know now we can all argue about whether people who do important jobs should get honours just for doing their jobs, but um, he did. And uh, but the Tories put Sir Keir Starmer in every single press release they ever put out. Every time they mention him, they call him Sir Keir, and it has a little bit of an effect. Um, um, in the focus groups, um, and that was a sort of well, because they quite because it, it all gets rolled up into sort of out of touch. He doesn't exactly. understand us, yeah. despite him having a sort of perfectly normal upbringing, famously with a father, father. as a toolmaker, yeah, and a which mother as shows, a nurse. Which shows actually why you need to be so repetitive in politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even though we can recite Keir Starmer's life story, you know the donkeys and the, how long each donkey lived, almost <laughs> actually voters haven't noticed any of that no. yet because. They have actual lives yeah. to get on with, which is astonishing. Yeah. Uh, and also, yeah, it's also because of... Slightly well, I'm off. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, please not have another speech about how his father was a toolmaker. Anyway, this is live another bit. Toolmaker uh, is the new bus driver, isn't it? Yeah. Right, essentially. Son of a toolmaker, son of a bus driver. Uh, right, uh, let us know what you think. Uh, you can post your comments on the Times Radio YouTube channel. Uh, Andy's saying Rishi's going to try and tough this one out. Should be interesting. Uh, Bet Starmer just asked his next scripted question anyway. Says, well, that is the slight risk uh, of what's going on here. Anyway, let's go back to the House of Commons. So this is question number three from Keir Starmer. I think we will have more if we carry on. It'll be more outside rather than here. Keir Starmer. Yes. Honour should be for public service, not Tory cronies. Yes. But Mr Speaker, isn't this the case? He was too weak to block Johnson's list. And that also means 
that those who spent their time helping cover up Johnson's law-breaking are rewarded by becoming lawmakers for the rest of their lives. Is his message to the British public, if you don't like it, tough? Mr Speaker, it's right that we use the honour system to recognise people, almost 2,000 people a year, from members of the England Lionesses team to the first Asian police officer in Greater Manchester. But he talks, he talks about putting people in the House of Lords. Perhaps he could explain why he put forward for a peerage the former MP, Labour MP Tom Watson, who spread vicious conspiracy theories that were totally and utterly untrue, damaged public discourse and inflicted misery on innocent people. Quiet. Can I just say to the Prime Minister, you shouldn't criticise other members. Also, you're not responsible for the other parties. You are the Prime Minister that's answering the questions, not asking the questions. Here's some. That's quite um, ballsy by Lindsay Hoyle, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you get this now and again. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think sometimes Prime Ministers spend a lot of time asking questions. It felt to me that was a reasonable response under the circumstances from Sunak. I'd, I'm not quite sure why we all got his knickers in that particular twist. So just a reminder that Tom Watson uh, was heavily criticised for his support for false claims of a Westminster paedophile wing by the fantasist Carl Beach. Uh, he was put forward to the House of Lords. Was it actually by... Jeremy Corbyn, and then sort of yep. way nodded through by Kirsten, yeah. because it was, it was long delayed, wasn't it? Yeah, it was part hard? of the deal for Tom Watson leaving um, as deputy leader and, and leaving um, as an MP as well. Yeah. So, um, but I think one thing that does give Starmer a little bit of stronger ground on this is that he is actually in favour of abolishing the House of Lords. Now, no one around him actually thinks it's going to happen. Everyone who's actually looked into how it would work in terms of getting this reform through yeah. Parliament has said it ain't going to happen. It's one of those silly pledges you make as leader of the opposition. But at least he's sort of committed to to getting rid of the whole lot and saying, you know, it doesn't work. This appointment system is manifestly wrong. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that they've obviously, you know, in the, in the briefing this morning, the, 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 the PMQ's prep, they've also decided to go on the attack on Tom Watson rather than... <laughs> Try and move the conversation on to. Yeah, I mean they 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 feel that this is worth having a crack on. Yeah, um, yeah. I I mean I've, I find the whole thing uh, slightly leaves me cold. But uh, <laughs> as soon as we get into uh, debates about the future of the House of Lords, the only person you'd call is Jack Straw, who spent about three years trying, trying to accomplish to this. Like and, and they voted and at against the end every of single it, option. Every time you talk to him now about it, he'll just sort of say, "No, it's just not worth it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, right, very good. We go back to the House of Commons then. We are now on question number four from Keir Starmer. Order, order, order. Order, oh, order, no, order. More Lindsay order. Hoyle. Is somebody wanted to challenge my decision? Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the truth is the country is paying the price of this endless cycle of chaos and distraction. The Tory economic crash means that millions of mortgage holders will pay thousands of pounds more next year. And the blame lies squarely at the door of a government more focused on the internal wars of the Tory party than the needs of the country. Does he not think that those responsible should hang their heads in shame? 
Mr Speaker, as I said right at the beginning of the session, our number one economic priority is to reduce inflation so that we can restrain the increase in interest rates. But one thing we know that we need to do to do that is to reduce our borrowing and debt, Mr Speaker. That's how we will bring interest and mortgage rates down. But last week, what did we see? Labour confusion with the Shadow Chancellor attempting to water down their plans to borrow £28 billion more a year. But she was promptly overruled by the Shadow Energy Secretary, the former leader, who said that they were 100% not abandoning their pledge. It really looks like Labour's offer never changes. It's uncontrolled borrowing and more chaos with Ed Miliband. Chaos with Ed Miliband. Well, that's very good. And a bit of chutzpah there. Yeah. Um, those of you not understanding why we're all cackling like wild geese. Um, <laughs> Thanks uh, so much. David Cameron, of course, did a tweet um, back in 2015 saying, you know, you could have a, you know this sensible, dull Tory party or chaos with Ed Miliband and whatever coalition he'd put together. It's sort of one of the hollowest tweets ever. ever. Britain faces an inescapable <laughs> choice. That's the fella. Stability and strong government with me, or chaos with Ed Miliband. May the fourth, twenty fifteen. I mean, you know, to be fair, there might have been chaos with Ed Miliband, yeah. but good lord, they've given us some different. chaos of their own, they haven't do. they? Cost I feel me. like chaos with Ed Miliband has become a bit like the killer's Mr. Brightside that gets played at the end of every single nightclub <laughs> evening. Sort of, it's just, just a song that's just going to keep coming back, and that. The older ones amongst us are all going to go, mm. oh, my goodness, every yeah. time it's played. I'm afraid Mr Brightside gets me up like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Like nothing. Straight, straight on the dance floor. Oh, straight floor. on the dance floor. <laughs> okay. I don't know where that was going. <laughs> this is a family show, Tim. Oh, my goodness. Um, uh... <laughs> but, no, interesting point on the £28 billion. Labour had, yeah. uh, you know, that's a pretty big U-turn by the Labour Party last week. Um, they pledged um, £28 billion of extra spending on green energy. Um, Rachel Reeves has had to say the economy is in a worse state than we thought, um, and that has to be punted to the second half of the next parliament. Um, Ed Miliband busily tweeting, saying we haven't abandoned the pledge, but they've certainly delayed it. Um, and... Um, in a more propitious environment, that's something that um, Sunak could have had quite a lot of fun with, but he's on the back foot in general. Um, and interestingly, you know, we're now on to sort of more of the economic material that we were expecting. Where's where's Rishi Sunak boasting about the latest, you know, thing from the IMF or whoever yeah, saying, yeah. look how well you're doing, Britain. And the economy grew today. You know, it grew, bit, yes. You know, um, yeah. But Interestingly, on the soaring ahead, on they? the question of who is to blame for interest rates going up, uh, you go did some polling on this, and they said uh, interest rates will be predicted to rise between five and five and a half percent this year. Who or what do you think is most to blame? Thirty-two percent said the government's economic policies, well ahead of all the others. Sixteen seventy percent said Russia, uh, COVID, Brexit, and don't know. But, I mean, actually, to me, you couldn't possibly even lump Brexit, actually, into... I mean, that's ultimately within the government's uh, gift. So, yeah, that's, and that's obviously landing with uh, with voters. Almost half of Labour voters uh, blame the government directly for um, for what's happening to their mortgages. Mm. It's quite a bad place to be, isn't it? It is, and it's also this gamble that a lot of Tories have been you know, putting their faith in, really, that by the next election... Voters will start to see, you know, green shoots in the economy, as politicians always call it, and they'll start to think, actually, think things are getting better. Let's stick with these guys who probably, on balance, are still better than, you know, chaos with Sir Keir and Ed Miliband. But actually, if you're really feeling it in terms of, you know, mortgage chaos or the mortgage penalty, as Labour yeah, now yeah. wants to call it, then 
you're not, first, you're not going to thank the government, you're not going to trust the government, and you're going to think, well, you know, these guys can't be any worse, can they? In fact, they've they've been scaling back on some of Ed Miliband's chaos. But for landing that, not mortgage penalty just doesn't work, does it? It needs to be mortgage mm. bombshell or mortgage... Yeah. It's, it's a little bit technocratic. The... Mortgage penalty sounds like a letter you'd get from HMRC, doesn't yeah. it? Which, yeah. you know... Yeah, I, I, I agree it's a bit arcane, but I also agree... Um, with Isabel that I think, you know, just as likely as people saying, oh, thanks very much, government, you finally sorted out the economy, yeah. is it, it might take away a bit of the sort of Tory argument that can you, re- ooh, mm. can you really, you know, we're just getting back, yeah. do you really want to risk it with Labour? Some people might think, oh, well, actually, we look like we're sort of in okay shape now. Why don't we let these people who'd actually like to sort out some of these yeah. uh, public services well done. have you've a go cl- as you've well? You've cleared up the mess that you, you created. Yes. Now clear now, off. Now, now let these people Rather than go. we're going to thank you for repairing yeah. some of the damage that you made is a, is a difficult, you know... It's yeah. a bit like parents letting their children have a weekend at home a few weeks after trashing the house with a, uh, with a party. Sort of, yeah, we, we, we trust you again. Yeah, we'll definitely yeah. trust you again to yeah. not do that again. Yeah. And the problem Sunak's got, of course, is he didn't. He's not responsible for most of the trashing. Um, we're still living in the post Liz Trust world here, aren't we? Um, that's what really tanked the Tory poll rating, and it's what really tanked the economy. Um, mm. And he's sort of, you know, there's a slight feel of Ken Clark, Chancellor of the Exchequer, about all this that they sort of Tories grind away for it yeah. miserably for a year and a half, and finally get everything sort of looking okay again, and then the public says. Thanks very much. Off you pop. Well, I remember at one point, the depth of all the awfulness last year, Charles Walker, the Tory MP, told me that, that it was a, the responsibility of the Tory party now was to get the country in the best shape possible before handing it over. Mm. It was an extraordinary thing for Tory society. And that is something that, that a lot of Tory MPs say about the party as well, is that they trust Rishi Sunak to clear things up to the extent that the party doesn't completely collapse after losing the next election. And many of them are thinking about what could happen to it in opposition, as happened with Labour after its Mm. 2015 defeat, that it just went into this period period of horrendous denial. A lot of Tory MPs want Sunak to, to, to sharpen things up sufficient that they feel like a fighting force as opposed to a party that can go into a sort of indulgent Liz Truss think tank era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it will depend on the result, frankly. If it's reasonably close, yeah. you can expect sort of incremental changes. Um, if there's a wipeout for Labour, I don't I don't know many Tories who don't think that, that there'll be a dramatic lurch to the right yeah. and something resembling the Ian Duncan Smith leadership <laughs> following thereon. Um, and, yeah... As Isabel says, the big battle is to try and stop that from stop happening. That from happening. Yeah, you yeah. know, with a what ten percent chance of sneaking over the line, you know, uh, in their back pocket. But well, as uh, I thought, we would got on question number six, but isn't it? It's question number five. Let's go back to the House of Commons. It's Keir Stummer. There's only one party. There's only one party that broke the economy. They're sitting right there. And there's a reason. There's a reason they can't fix the problems facing the country because they never take responsibility for the damage that they've done. And it's not just Johnson. The Prime Minister's immediate predecessor is hoping to reward those who made her reign such a rip-roaring success. (laughs) On her honours list are the masterminds of that kamikaze budget, the economic extremists of the Institute of Economic Affairs, those whose disastrous ideas crashed the economy and left the country to pick up the pieces. Will the Prime Minister block that honours list or will he buckle to her as well? 
Mr. Speaker. Well, to, if you want disastrous economic ideas, all you have to do is Labour's economic policy on energy. I mean, it's, a, it's, an, it's an energy policy that seeks to ban all new British oil and gas drilling, Mr. Speaker, jeopardising 200,000 jobs and our energy security at a time of international conflict. Despots like Putin are the only people who will welcome such a policy. His his predecessor once said that he wanted British jobs for British workers. His policy is British jobs for Russian workers. It's it's, it's bravura. I mean, it's it's something. It's curious. Interesting, uh, quite smart. Let's do the question first, and we'll try to work out what that answer was about. Uh, the question, not bad, really. You know, mm. will you now block Liz Truss's? It's interesting. He said Johnson in the House of Commons, which is technically against the rules, but he got away with it. Is that because he's no longer an MP? Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yes, he probably can now. Yeah, which he's, is, now he's, not he's enough to refer that. to the right under yeah. woman for Uxbridge and South yeah, Wales. Yeah, he could just call him. But yeah, yeah he's but, the whatever he is, the Baron of the Manor of Northolt. Or, yes, or the, 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 the Chilton Hundreds. Oh, he's Chilton Hundreds. He's Chilton Hundreds. He was Manor with Northstead last time. Oh, no, he's just got the oh, it's nice that he's had both. He's got jobs, them both. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, calling for Rishi Sunak to block Liz Truss's honours list. Because if he, I mean, if normal members of the public think that Boris Johnson's list is a bit much, Liz Truss putting people in the House of Lords on the basis of 44 disastrous days mm. in charges is quite something. It's also quite something to envisage Rishi Sunak being too weak to block Liz Truss. Which you know, Boris Johnson is this sort of force. Yeah. Liz Truss was, you know, famously beaten by a lettuce, and I think is sort of now seen as a laughing stock by most of the yeah. British public. So the idea that she would be somebody who would frighten Rishi Sunak is, is quite comedic, really. I mean, if you've ever seen both of them in action, <laughs> I think she'd, she'd do him good and proper if it yeah. ever came to a fist fight. What Rishi and Liz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, if it came to an actual fist fight, I think she'd win. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Definitely. <laughs> maybe there's only, maybe that's maybe they, they should just take it to a pub car park and just uh, whoever emerges gets Can't an, you get do an, it an honest an list. Liz, if you're listening. Um I met a young chap uh, the other night. Um I was out in a bar and I was chatting to someone and we, somebody mentioned Rishi Sunak, and this guy turned around and said, Oh, what do you think of Rishi? And he went, Oh no, 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 no. Anyway, basically it turned out he worked for Liz Truss. And he was obviously just out doing like focus groups to ask to ask what we thought about Liz Truss. Um, I suppose he's got plenty of time to be in a bar if he works for Liz Truss as yeah, well. Yeah, probably just dive you to drink. Uh, right, let's go back to the House of Commons then. Question we never s- talked about the answer. Oh, sorry, we ought to talk about the answer. <laughs> British jobs for Russian workers. Well, I mean, the point about this energy policy, which I think even a lot of Labour people think is a little bit odd, that mm. you, you know, because if we don't create our own energy, we'll probably be buying it from somewhere else. Yeah. I'm not sure British jobs for Russian workers quite sums that up in the way they hoped. Well, because no. the argument is that they... The argument against what they're suggesting is you stop all new North Sea oil and gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we wouldn't have any British jobs, jobs. there. Well, quite. It'd be Russian jobs for Russian workers if we we're importing well, their oil but, and gas. But equally, the whole point of energy security is that we're not buying it from Russia. So yeah. more accurately, it would be Norwegian jobs for Norwegian workers, yeah. I yeah. think, is actually the Because the Labour argument would be, we're going to spend all this money, but what we're going to do is invest in alternatives to North Sea oil and gas so we don't need that anymore. And that's why we have a deadline to get rid of it. But the, the, if you talk to Scottish Labour, which I spend quite a lot of time doing when I'm up in Holyrood, they are really worried about 
their voters who do not think that the high-tech green jobs of the future are ones they have skills for. Mm. So if you talk to anyone who sort of represents people in Aberdeen, uh, those constituents do not think that renewable energy is something they're going to be able to transfer into. And that's what Sunak should be scaring people with, is the prospect that the job that their city has been built on is just going to disappear and yeah. it is not going to be replaced like for like. And we've seen a bit that like with actually, other industries before, yeah. haven't we? Yeah. With yeah, tin yeah. and coal and yeah. all the rest of it. And in yeah. some of these places, they've become hubs for, for you know cars or new tech or whatever. But in some of them, mm. they're still exactly. recovering yeah. now, 30 years on. Mm. Right, now we've uh, analysed that. Let's go back to question number six from Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. If he spent... If he spent as much time focused on the economy, the NHS and the asylum system as he does haggling with his predecessors about who gets honours, the country would be in a far better state. But once again, he's lost control and once again, it's working people paying the price. And if he disagrees with that, why not put it to the test? End the boasting, the excuses, the Tory chaos... See if he can finally find somebody, anybody, anywhere to vote for him and call a general election now. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, uh, he he talked about asylum just this week. Just this week, it was the Labour Party that voted against plans to tackle illegal migration. Just this week, it was the Labour Party that voted against plans to tackle disruptive protesters by their funding eco-zealots, Mr Speaker. But we're getting on and delivering for the country. We're delivering record employment and the fastest wage growth in years, Mr Speaker. It's clear only the Conservatives are going to deliver for the people of Britain. Well, there we are. Yeah, I mean, you know... uh, He He warmed up, didn't he? He warmed up. I mean... It's quite hard to score anything other than 6-0. Do we give him half a point for effort at the end? I mean, maybe. Though I'm intrigued that Starmer has now leapt on the let's have a general election thing quite this early. Yeah. Um, because it's... I noticed we had one of the, uh, the monthly uh, Sunday Mirror front pages. Yes. Uh, general election now. If all else fails, general election now. Yeah, and, you know, the, during the May years when she had no majority and, you know, there was quite a decent case for it, but even then they only kind of got towards... Corbyn's lot only started really hammering that in the final few months. Um, and, you know, you can wait quite a long time not getting a general election whilst demanding one. Because mm. um, now that the fixed-term Parliament Act's gone, it's basically up to Rishi Sunak when he has a general election. Um, and I'm somewhat sceptical that he's on the verge of calling one. Well, I, suppose, um, I suppose it does work, Isabel, to sort of wind up voters yeah. to aggravate for change. Yeah. You know, Boris Johnson's gone, let's kick the rest of them out. You know, yeah. to, to sort of fuel that... Yeah. Sort of why are you still here? Cha- need, you know, the, 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 the call for change. Yeah, and do you remember in the, the days after the 2010 result when Gordon Brown was still in Downing Street while all the coalition... The squatter. Yeah, the squatter narrative. I wonder whether you could apply that to an entire government rather than just a, a Prime Minister who, who was you know, had been defeated and was clapped out. Yeah. Whether, because the government as a whole looks clapped out, Labour would have some effect in campaigning for that. But I I mean, I agree with Tim. You know, if you keep calling for things, it's like the call that you make as a politician when you say that somebody needs to resign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to have a reasonable hope that they're going to do that. Otherwise, 
you just look like you're a sort of... I mean, there are some MPs who call for people to resign as soon as they're appointed, and you just start to look a bit incredible. Yeah, I mean, I mean a lot of it... Labour should... usually call for people to resign, and the Lib Dems normally call for Parliament to be, be recalled, recalled in all <laughs> the circumstances. <laughs> and um, we call for COBRA meetings. Yeah, yes. <laughs> there's also the, a question of uh, where the public are on this. If, if Labour's polling is showing, people just want an election now, mm. and you're on their side, then fine. If the public is saying, but last time we were in the middle of all this is a general election, mm. then you just annoy them by calling for it. And it just depends whether or not you want public opinion. Tim Shipman, uh, Sunday Times chief political commentator, still here. Isabel Harmon from The Spectators here. And now, sort of creating a zoo radio format, uh, Patrick McGuire's here as well, playing the role of Lara Spirit. Good afternoon. Understudy to... Well, I wouldn't be so impolite as to call Lara Spirit my understudy, but yeah. Yeah, we are. Understudy to the understudy. Uh, somebody on the YouTube channel said, I wonder if Patrick knows we're all closely studying his head. Well, actually, you know, there, there's a little bald spot there, which is where I had a cancerous, precancerous mole removed in 2019. On the day Jeremy Corbyn launched his... Uh, Launched his leadership. No, launched his election campaign. That's a tortured metaphor. Filling your own joke. Yeah. <laughs> That's also a very good defence against anyone ever being rude about a ball yeah, patch. Isn't yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, can make it's them only feel the size really of a penny, really bad. Yeah. Um, uh, well, there we are. Get on the YouTube channel if you want to see the, uh, the top of Patrick Maguire's head. Uh, Patrick, you've been watching the rest of PMQ so that we don't have to. Uh, uh-huh. Who have you picked up? Uh, well, a bit of a cop out as ever, but Stephen Flynn had a very punchy question today, the SNP leader. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I would just like to echo the sentiments of the Prime Minister and indeed the Leader of the Opposition in relation to the terrible incident in Nottingham and indeed our thoughts are with all of those still reeling from the tragedy at Grenfell all these years later. Mr Speaker, during his ill-fated leadership bid late last summer, the Prime Minister warned of the perils of mortgage rate rises. Indeed, he stated, and I quote, it's going to tip millions of people into misery and it's going to mean we have absolutely no chance of winning the next election. (laughs) Given that mortgage rates continue to rise, does he still agree with his own electoral analysis? (laughs) Mr Speaker, which is... Which is absolutely why our economic policy sets as our number one priority to reduce inflation and thereby bring interest rates, which, by the way, Mr. Speaker, have also risen in pretty much every developed economy around the world, more so in places like America and New Zealand, similar in other countries as well, like Australia. But it is important in order to reduce inflation that you do need to have control over borrowing, Mr. Speaker, which is why we, unlike the party opposite, are disciplined with regard to the public finances. But these are the issues. These are the issues that we should be focused on. I saw that the SNP yesterday, Mr Speaker, had a meeting to discuss their future, but the only thing they managed to decide was that they should send Nicola Sturgeon some flowers. So can he tell us, did he sign the card? Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, respectfully, I think the, the Prime Minister needs to grow up. There is a... Yeah, I think in that question there you have... <laughs> All of human life is there, obviously, but in a nutshell, I think you have the two perhaps biggest challenges for both of those parties in the next election. One is the economic data we've had over the past couple of days, guilt yields, mortgages being pulled off the market, inflation remaining stubbornly high. That's the economic backdrop. Rishi Sunak, no matter how many things he fixes, uh, as his allies would say, is going to have to be battling into that headwind at the next election. The second thing is, no matter what the SNP say, any party facing them can just point to the to the bin fire in the camp of, the camper van fire behind them. Not even a bin fire, the camper van fire behind them, and that is the issue for any for the SNP trying to prosecute any narrative about 
anyone else's misfortunes at the minute. Did I detect there that the, um, Lindsay Hoyle slightly laughed at Rishi Sunak's joke about the flowers? Well, you're like, did you notice that, Patty? Your old mate, Lindsay Hoyle, you spoke so highly of last week. <laughs> um, you know, that he treats his office with the reverence it deserves. Um, no, I didn't hear that, actually. Presumably, yeah, if he was laughing, chuckle. he'd make sure he'd laugh really loud so everyone, everyone could hear, because yeah. he's such a card, Lindsay, isn't he? <laughs> Right, once again, uh, those are the views of Patrick McGuire and not of Times Radio. Uh, who else are we going to listen to on the, on the old POQs? Uh, a very interesting question from the Tory backbencher, Theresa Villiers. Oh, here we go. Theresa Villiers. I'm really worried about the cost of living. Will the Prime Minister agree that it is completely wrong for Labour to be introducing new ULES drugs? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, my right honourable friend is absolutely right to raise this important issue. While we are getting on providing significant support to families uh, with the cost of living, the Labour Mayor of London, to whom transport has devolved, is busily putting it up, imposing the ULES charge against the overwhelming views of residents and businesses. It is disappointing he is not listening to the British public and the public in outer London. But what's even more, his plan to raise costs on working families is totally backed by the leader of the opposition. I'm surprised he got away with that, or she got away with it, given that earlier on Lindsay Hoyle walled out a quote, you know, said that it wasn't for Rishi Sunak to talk about what Labour were doing. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Is that um, basically, would you like to attack the Labour Mayor well, of look, London? on the day the rip for the Uxbridge by-election is moved, on the day Greg Hans is on the doorstep in Uxbridge, the Tories have already put out a video to this effect, they want to make the Uxbridge by-election out of London, one of the boroughs he was yeah. talking about, um, uh, a referendum on ULES, not a referendum on Boris Johnson or the Tories. Explain party. to people outside London what ULES is. Uh, it is a 12.50 a day charge if you are driving a, uh, I'm not a motorist, so I might get this wrong, a petrol or diesel car. A wicked polluting vehicle. Yeah. Turns mm. out Lindsay Hall's an inconsistent card. <laughs> it would be great if he vetted backbench questions for quality, though, wouldn't it? I mean, our lives would become so much more interesting. Well, that's basically well, that's what, we, that, what that, John Burke used to do, isn't it? Rubbish, that's down, what Patrick does. That's what Patrick does. Patrick <laughs> is basically vetting, so we don't have to sit through, uh, sit through all of them. Yeah, but the Tories see this as one of those issues where they can finally have mm. some kind yeah. of traction, and it's not just the Oxford by-election. You know, and they hope some, they can do it for the mayoral hitting, election as well. Some big hitting household names in the running. They've got mayoral, three Tory mayoral candidates. Anyone? Anyone to try and name one of them? Well, Daniel Korski. Daniel Korski, of course. Setting the world alight with some very exciting tweets about um, abolishing traffic lights and things like that. Yeah. I think it is going to be really difficult for Labour, though, because if you talk to... Labour MPs, even Labour front benches, who are either in London and affected by this yeah. users or who have got LTN, these low traffic neighbourhood yeah. uh, walls on their doorstep, they all accept that it is something that really ignites yeah, local communities and gets yeah, people wound up and is very difficult to defend because it feels like an imposition against people's sense of power and control over their own lives. We yeah, lost absolutely. a babysitter over you, Lance. Really? Won't drive to us anymore because it costs her too much. Well, there we are. Well, you need to up your weights. Give her a bite. But I don't, don't actually need to save the money for pay for my dinner. Now, <laughs> uh, talk of the things that wind people up. Boris Johnson and his uh, whether or not he lied to Parliament. The Privileges Committee report we thought was going to come out today. Uh, there's been delayed in part because they couldn't print it in time. So earlier on, we asked two printing companies to give us a quote for printing uh, a report, 650 times for each MP, 200 journalists, a nice green cover. We reckon about 50 pages. Ellis and Louise are back. Are you both there? Hiya, yeah. how are you doing? Very good. So, Alice, how quickly could you turn it round and how much would it cost us? Well, for Boris, I would do that in 48 hours and I would charge him £3,950. 
Yeah, very good. And what about you, Louise? Uh, again, 48 hours and just slightly cheaper, 3,700. Oh, there we are. It's about a minute of <laughs> Boris Johnson's pro rata public speaking rate. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't even re- have read out the summary before you'd uh, have covered your cost. But actually, it's interesting what you're making. Even for you, it would take 48 hours to turn it around. So maybe maybe this is justifiable in the House of Commons, uh, Ellis. I would, I would suspect so, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's more at play here, perhaps. You know, I don't know. <laughs> but it's because boys, Tim, keep, boys keeps adding in bits and wanting to have or a last taking bit. bits out. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting it much later in the week. So, well, cause hopefully, it'll be closer to your big read. Um, there's an element of that about my. How far had you got in last week's big read before it all blew up on Friday? I'd made a lot of calls, but um, anyone who knows me knows I hadn't written a word. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> then it blew up, and yeah, that yeah. was a very fun and intensive 24 hours. But there was lots of good stuff in there. Well, there was lots of good stuff, and also, you know, that's effectively writing the new final, final chapter of my, my book. book. So, my uh, favourite bit in your piece was that uh, Boris Johnson's a victim of a plot to reverse Brexit being led by Dominic Cummings. My favourite of all of the claims from friends of Boris Johnson. <laughs> anyway, Louise, uh, nobody to speak to you. Louise McIntosh from Printing Progress in London and Ellis Slater from First Colour Printers. Both very similar in price if you are looking to get any printing done. And that's all we've got time for on today's episode. Let me know what you think. Just drop me an email, matt at times.radio and hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. But for now, for me, Matt Cholly, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.